How are you? Pretty good then? Yes. I want to thank you for the, my Sports Illustrated issue because people see me with the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. And they immediately think. And they think that it's mine, that I bought it. I bought this. I did not. But Lyle subscribes to it. Can I show the. I don't want to show your address, but. Oh, look. What does that say on there? Lyle Anderson. What? Why would you get Sports Illustrated? I have no idea. What do you I mean? get it every week. What? You have no idea? I have no idea how, yeah. how I came to get Yeah, I, I get it every week, so I know all about... That's the famous, you know, when Playboy comes to the house. Yeah. And your wife says, why did you get Playboy? That's, I don't, that, I don't get it. There's no reason. <laughs> I had no idea that's what... For some reason you, sus- you must have subscribed. To. Someone did. For, for you? Must yeah. have. Unbelievable. And it's... Uh, this uh, is... Because I, I do not believe in this, unless the woman <laughs> herself uh, thinks it's okay. It's in Costa Rica. It's not around here. How much is it to Costa Rica and back? <laughs> or maybe just to Costa Rica. Is that maximum security? Oh, this is... I'm surprised you even get a magazine like this. This is not sports. This is not illustrations of sports. Yeah, how, this is swimsuits. But I like how, the burka. How did how did they start she looks that? Great, she's so. Pretty. Oh, because swimming is a sport, and supposedly yeah, it's I'm related. A, but Halima Aden, she's just a gorgeous woman. Look at this. This is great. <laughs> I consider this breakthrough, and I'm very much in favor of it. Even though I do not subscribe to this particular magazine, it just turned up that someone handed it to me on the way into this. <laughs> Uh, the rest of this, I'm not so much in favor of. All right. Anyhow, that uh, when I rule the world, that was for Archie. Oh, for Archie? Yeah, over there in England. I was, uh, was waiting to see how that was going <laughs> to... You know, we're going to get rid of this audience idea because they, just, they come to a talk show to talk. Remember that from uh, John Tooling back in the Hotel Washington? But maybe they're losing. All those nurses came in on break to drink Bloody Mary's. Oh, uh, coming the off the we shift. Because we were there, yeah. Coming yeah. Off. You remember that? That's where yeah. we first met yeah, you, right. I think. From, you were at the bar there for yeah. some reason. Leftover from last night before? Or? And, I don't know why you were there at 9 in the morning. Uh, well, I lived very close by. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Archie. Yes. So, Archie. That's it. It's not short for something other than Archibald. So Archie Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker. Good example. Of a bad idea and a name, Archie, <laughs> as in Betty and Veronica's friend. Remember, so they said. Yeah. Archie Comics. I have a. Oh, here is the Archie that this child is named after. This royal baby. He's probably going to grow up to look like that. It looks sort of like Harry. Yeah. You put a beard on him. You got Harry. No. Yeah. But a kid shouldn't have to bear that burden. Well, maybe he'll end up looking like that. Yeah. So he's Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. Uh, if there were an and Windsor at the end, it'd be like a prestigious firm in the city, as they say. Now the question is: Is there an Archie deep in the bowels of the royal line? Uh, let's Google that. Yes, and uh, as far as uh, we know, Archie does not have any British royal connotations, and Harrison too is a totally new name for the royal family. So there's no Archie. No, no Harrison? Harrison. Yeah. Uh, Archie means genuine, bold, or brave, and more popular than Brandon. Well, you lost me right at Archie. Well, and so what does Harrison mean, I wondered? Son of Harry. 
You ruined this whole thing. I have, <laughs> I've been planning this for days. Yes, son of Harry, Harry's son. Yeah. So Anderson, you'd I, be son of Anders. That's uh, yes. Feldman, I'd be man of Feld. But Feld's man. But they're not some Norwegian. guy Feld. I'd be his man. Is that good or bad? But the royal family isn't Norwegian. Man is a servant, isn't it? The guy is a servant. Mm-hmm. This Feld is probably a big shot. All right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so okay. Son well, of Harry. That, that was the end of it. Anyhow. Son of Harry, lucky it didn't come out Williamson. Although that would go a long way towards explaining their relationship, you know, his brother and him. Ah. They named their baby Williamson instead of Harrison. Hmm. Huh? <laughs> Still, one doesn't name one's mistakes, even if you're a Windsor. That's a really bad idea. And they're all Germans anyway. I don't care. Uh, Harry said he was very proud of Meghan, and Meghan said she was very proud of Harry for his part, or his Harry part, in it. Uh, Harry went on as he can, although not like Philip, to say, I am so incredibly proud of my wife. Almost sounds like he's surprised. You could even do it. Uh, we now have the first British-American prince born into the royal family. That's a landmark moment. I suppose it shows how international and diverse we are as a society. Nah. I think he's drawing too it's much all- from this. Window dressing. They had a baby. Oh, they had a baby. It's such a big deal. Yeah. Who hasn't had babies? Lots of people have had babies. Do we make such a big deal about it? You say it's a landmark for the world? <laughs> I mean, was Ellie a landmark for the world? Yes, she thinks so. All right. In the news, it isn't. Uh, King Donald I was crowned <laughs> in a private ceremony uh, in... <laughs> A break with protocol, Queen Ivanka joins him on the throne, while Melania is given the honorific title Lady of the Night. <laughs> this happened because Trump was advised by AG, as in anything goes, bar, uh, that coronation would transmute executive privilege into divine rights. So it's really the way to go. It's one step. Yes. Bar can make you a king if he ruled the world. Uh, another news uh, Mitch McConnell says Mueller is closed but Benghazi is still wide open <laughs> Can I hear you say we're never going to hear the end of that I know I like it when you say that you, what, oh, what about Benghazi no, just, just, say the, just say it Benghazi no not like you say it like <laughs> what about Benghazi yeah very good thank you he's done this for how many years has it been <laughs> yeah uh yeah, Benghazi is still wide open. Plus, he wants to see Obama's birth certificate and Bill Clinton's dick pic. <laughs> so McConnell Ew. never gives up. You know, you've got to give him that much. He never pulls his head in. <laughs> he may look Poor like a turtle, Mr. but he never turtle pulls man. his head in. Yeah. So that's, he probably makes a point of that. You know, I mean, everyone says he's a turtle, so he makes a point. Because <laughs> when he does that, well, he looks even worse. You know, it all folds up like an accordion. Sorry. Uh, hundreds of former federal prosecutors examining the Mueller report find enough evidence of collusion to impeach Trump and, and to charge him with criminal obstruction. On the other hand, they are former federal prosecutors for a reason, right? <laughs> They're not working. Federal. I'm just saying. Uh, GOP votes against protecting people with pre-existing conditions, and now they must leave office. Because, you know, everybody has a pre-existing 
Yeah. So your condition is in. Yeah. Go out there and work on it. <laughs> uh, Denver voters must have been high when they voted for magic mushrooms. <laughs> now, if they always vote on shrooms, they will approve anything out there in Denver. Herb Brodsky was engineered this, I think. Ah. Out there in Denver. I, I actually I wrote and thanked him. I said, I'm visiting. <laughs> Be on the first uh, shroom plane. Now, is the state going to sell the shrooms, too? I don't know. You know? Who can we ask? I hate it when they sell liquor, let alone they're selling psychedelics. <laughs> state should not be responsible for psychedelics. The state is the reason for psychedelics. Um, in other news, Trump takes aim at, quote, surprise medical bills, unfortunately by denying surprise medical care. Page two. North Korea fires two very short-range Donald Dong missiles. That's all I have on that. <laughs> the Kentucky teen who sued over the school ban for refusing chickenpox vaccination says he feels great with chickenpox, and mumps will make him feel even better. The cowboy, the cowboy. would get it if the herd was not immune. I'm not. I'll look. I'll check it up for next time. Uh, the House Judiciary Committee votes to hold A.G. Barr in a hammerlock, drag him in to testify. The Senate Intelligence Committee vows to throw Donald Jr. under a bus. Uh, if anyone was ever made for throwing under a bus, it was Donald Jr. That's the reason for his birth. I believe it was a planned birth. When he still believed in planned parenthood, you know. Oh, not yeah. that. That would have been Ivana, right? Uh, yeah. Is that her mother? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay. You say DeVos or DeVoe? Education Secretary, Betsy. Uh, I think it's DeVos. DeVos, thank you. Education Secretary DeVos, not sure if she'd want to serve another term after 2020, so how about serving a sentence? <laughs> Had Trump body-checked those other horses in the Derby, he would have won the Kentucky Derby, ladies and gentlemen. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And Barr would have seen to it. Uh, nearly 12 million pounds of Tyson frozen chicken strips recalled because they contain metal, and it's going to be a task feeding all those back to the remaining chickens. <laughs> and I uh, asked the wife, she said, we didn't have any racy photos that would typically be kept between us. <laughs> and that's all the news that isn't. Oh, there's a little extra news here. I asked, oh. uh, asked if she has anything else on her besides the 42 mud turtles. A Florida woman whips a gator out of her yoga pants. Just another Florida story. I'm so tired. That can't be real. Where in a in your yoga pants would one conceal <laughs> one's gator? That's, would you run the tail up your? Uh, I, I think somebody made that story up. I don't. Think it's Florida, man. It's got to be true. There's no fake news in Florida. <laughs> How about this then? Uh, Three Georgia women bought a box of Legos while visiting a South Carolina consignment shop, only to find the box was actually filled with three pounds of meth. Well, it's Georgia. You're <laughs> going to find <laughs> three pounds. Three pounds of it worth $40,000. Well, Bullock, Bullock County Sheriff's Messenger Jim Riggs tells the Statesboro Herald that the woman gifted the box to a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, start him. Well, on. once again, it's Georgia. Can I tell you? Oh, who opened it and discovered oh. three pounds of drugs? Deputies say the women turned the drugs and the child over to the sheriff's <laughs> office. All right. 
Are we ready for yes, our we're ready. Guest. Coming up oh. on the show right now, that was not fascinating enough, I know. No. This is good. This is really going to be good. Hark is a new novel by Sam Lipset. It's, uh, I'll tell you what it is. It's an America convulsed by political upheaval, cultural discord, environmental collapse, and spiritual confusion, with many folks searching for peace, salvation, and perhaps most immediately just a little damn focus. Enter Hark Mourner. An unwitting guru whose technique of mental archery, combination of mindfulness, mythology, fake history, yoga, and, well, archery is set to captivate the masses and raise him to a near-Messiah status. Sam, are you you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, how are you doing? Great, how are you? Fine. You know, I've been in this near-Messiah status myself. How's it going? It's overrated. (laughs) It passed. These things always pass, and they do. Fortunately, I didn't have to take an arrow. That's the problem with the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're still here. Still here. This is an amazing book. Oh, thank you. First of all, I love the language. Thank you so much. Yeah, in the first part of it, I don't know, I thought it was like Ginsburg writing, pro, uh, writing prose, you know? Because yeah. there's the cadence, the lists, and and the turns in sentences, it's like, it's like free verse. I'm really kind of always interested in how poetry can make its way into prose, so... I take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, I, it's a great compliment because I loved uh, Ginsburg. How, like, yeah, Ginsburg. Ginsburg is wonderful. Lots of lots of poets have been in, kind of influenced in my writing. I think. Yeah. How? Where, the idea for this book itself. How, how did it come up? It's in a very unusual book. I love it, it, but it's very complicated. It is. It sort of got more complicated as I went, but uh, it started <laughs> with sort of the simple, preposterous idea of mental archery, and I just started playing around with this kind of silly pseudo-yoga kind of uh, activity, and then went from there. Yeah. And if they're not, I bet now there is something called mental archery, thanks to you. It seems like a natural for our times. I think that, yeah, if if I can find a way to tap into that monetarily, I'd be pretty happy, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, there probably already maybe was something called mental archery before. I have, I have no idea. I know a lot of people, you know, have married Zen and archery, obviously, and, and other kinds of practices. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't really seen it take off yet. Yeah, but Hark himself was not a born messiah. He was a, like a failed stand-up comic. That's right. I you know I've always kind of wanted to write about comics and comedy, but so I, I sort of had this idea of a guy who. You know, wasn't really funny enough to be a comic, but if he stopped trying to be funny and just said kind of the same things, but seriously, perhaps people would start to follow him. Yeah. And he said things that were not meant to be revolutionary or calls right. calls to action. They were just ways of finding focus. Well, yeah, that's, that's it exactly. He He's just, at least in the beginning of the book, interested in helping people find focus, but a lot of his followers read more revolutionary import into his words, I think. Yes. And um, focus is, uh, archery is all about focus, obviously, but one ne- never actually fires an arrow, literally, in any of this. Right. In mental archery, it's all in the head. Yeah. yeah. So strike a pose based maybe on different mythical or historical archers, but uh, you never fire an actual arrow. That's true. Yeah. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Yeah. And which... The- it's even that word, about a lot in the book. <laughs> yeah, the, the word metaphor gets tossed around here like a hot yeah. potato. 
What are some of the ramifications of saying something is a metaphor, at least in Hark? Well, I think that people are trying to, you know, find meaning. And, and one of the ways they're trying to find meaning in the book is, you know, a metaphor for their lives or a metaphor for their struggle to make sense of it all. And so in the book, archery is a metaphor, but then it becomes... Uh, Others talk about how volleyball might be a metaphor, or even handcrafted butterscotch. Handcrafted. <laughs> yes, butters- butterscotch comes up uh, yeah. quite often, and catfish comes up quite often. There is a cat. There's a catfish who is a character in the book who yeah. appears from time to time and seems to have a lot of uh, yeah. sway with the universe. Yes. But we're never quite sure. So there are some surreal uh, moments. It's true. The book sort of has a. Because Mostly a kind of a realism to it, but sometimes absurd or magical or surreal moments burst out. It's great. And I love it. And I love the writing. And I, I was just I was trying to tell someone about it. I said, if I were in high school now, this is the kind of book we'd pass around. It would go locker to locker. You know, it's, it's that's, some, you that's know. the highest compliment. <laughs> I know. It's like well, we had Catch Twenty Two in my day, and people say, "Wow, this is so anti everything we hate." And or whatever, you know, or it's uh, something. Something's being done about it. A book has been written, you know. Well, I I, I grew up loving Vonnegut, so yeah, uh, I would love to think that people might pass my book around the way we passed around yeah some Vonnegut. Definitely, like especially the ethical suicide parlor one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, our our Hark though is is he's sort of an antihero. He's not really a hero. In fact, nobody is actually. Heroic in this book, they're all they're all very uh, people deeply flawed human beings trying to deal with something that's suddenly re- reaching amazing proportions and become a real factor in life. Yes, and no one's up to I mean, it. I think there are a few characters that are maybe a little bit more heroic than others, but yeah. no one's a pure hero. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like this guy. Uh, Fra- is it Fraz? Would you say? Fraz, yeah. Fraz, the guy who was named, his father named him because that's what he thought he heard over a, a public address system, his name being called. Right, it, it was a, mis- a mistake. He's named for a mistake. Yeah. As is Hark. As is Hark. Yeah, well, he had a cop far- father, right? Right. And, and his, uh, his, his mother thought that the song Hark, the Herald Angels thing was about someone named Hark. Yeah. And uh, named her son Hark. Yeah. And there's a lot in here about naming your children as well. There is. I don't know how I got onto that riff, but it just seemed to keep popping up. I have children myself, and I guess trying to figure out how to to name them is always always an issue. Yeah, uh, someone in the book says that naming your child, it it shows too much of of your artifice. That's right. It it reveals too much. It reveals too much about you. Like naming your kids David and Lisa, which not everyone would get, but... Right. There was that. There was a movie, a book, I guess, <laughs> years ago yeah. about uh, some troubled kids. Troubled kids, which they are actually in the book as well. But everyone they is troubled. Are. There's no one who isn't troubled in this book. No, everyone's everyone's a bit troubled. But uh, those, I think, those children are doing the best they can given the circumstances. Yeah. And they all represent the age in which they live, which seems to be very much like our age, even though it's post-something or other. Well, I, I think the book takes place now-ish. now <laughs> <laughs> So it's maybe 
we're a few presidents ahead in the book, mm-hmm. and and Trump never won, but uh, it's still kind of basically our world. Yeah. And there is an, a new ISIS now, but it's an ISIS called the Army of the of the Just, and it's actually That's right. a Western ISIS. They're kind of a Western ISIS, and they're kind of a, a woke ISIS in some ways. Uh-huh. They uh, they have some progressive values, right? Right. They it's, believe... a kind of, it's a it's a strange situation because it's kind of just regular people. It's a triangulation, but there are these regular folk, and then there's this kind of fairly progressive army marauding across Europe, and then I guess the the forces of of big capitalism trying to stop them. Right. The army of the markets versus the army of the just. Exactly. Yeah. Who believe in single payer and Citizens United? Right. Well, they're against citizens. Yeah. Yeah. They believe in single payer. Yeah. They don't believe corporations should be uh, individuals. Right. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, and history. I mean, history is very much part of the book. And there's one section there where uh, someone is it Oz uh, or. Talking about that history hides. They're talking about you know what is. What, oh right, that's in the beginning of the book. Yeah, that's. I guess that's sort of there is a, a narrator, sort of unnamed, a kind of omniscient narrator. Yeah, comes back and and forth in the book, and that that's a section where, where that happens. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, would you be willing to read a little bit of this? Because it's so hard to describe what's going on here without actually hearing it, and I, I don't want to presume. Sure. Uh, why don't I just read from that beginning part? Okay, that'd be fantastic. Listen, before Hark, was it ever harder to be human? Was it ever harder to believe in our world? The weather made us wonder. The markets had. The wars. The rich had stopped pretending they were just the best of us and not some utterly other form of life. The rest, the most, could glimpse their end on earth in the parched basins and roiling seas, but could not march against their masters. They slaughtered each other instead, retracted into glowing holes. Hark glowed, too. He came to us and was goldeny. It wasn't that Hark had the answer. It was more that he didn't. All he possessed, he claimed, were a few tricks or tips to help people focus at work, at home, out for coffee with a client or a friend. Listen, before Hark, was it ever harder to find focus? Hark gathered his tips together, called it mental archery. Pretty silly, he liked to say. But some knew better. Some were certain he had a secret, a mystery, a miracle. For what was mental archery but the essence of Hark? And what was the essence of Hark but love? In this hurt world, how could that hurt? The hunters of meaning had found no meaning. The wanters of dreams were dreamless. Many now drifted toward Hark Mourner. This is like the backstory. The front story is about a bunch of people and a movement they launched under the banner of Hark, a movement that maybe meant nothing at all, or maybe it did mean something. It's tough to tell. The past is tricky, often half-hidden, like a pale, flabby young man flung naked into a crowded square. The past doesn't stand there, Grant Ganders. The past clasps its crotch, scurries for the cover of stanchion, benches. History hides. That's its job. It hides behind other history. So that's, uh, that's the beginning of the book. That's wonderful. Thank you. That's the Ginsburg, Ginsburg part for me. 
Yeah, it's got that flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, not, not as good as Ginsburg, but no. working towards it. Well, it's <laughs> different. It's not the same. Yeah. We're not trying to do the same things, let's just say. No. Um, I love the fact that, by the way, this is just jumping around here, that Tova, who is a, a writer, or had been a writer, speaking of writers, and, yeah. now, and now doesn't and is trying to get back in it, but she goes to the uh, Pine Barrens Writers Conference in New Jersey. I think that's a wonderful place for a writers' conference. I hope they start that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's very The Sopranos could go there, the one who wants to Exactly. Learn there are probably some bodies buried under the uh, workshop yeah. table. Yeah, and there'll be some new Sopranos coming in to l- trying to learn to write for the next movie production. He wants to learn how to write a That's right. That's a good subplot. Pine Barrens Writers' Conference, place to go. I just I wrote things down here, like this quote here: "Rich people are actually better than other people. Uh, that's why we should kill them." <laughs> <laughs> Out of context, it sounds so. Well, sounds, maybe I still believe it. Uh, it sounds so accurate. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, something that uh, Praz is. It's a theory he's working on that yeah. we we sort of allow in, kind of injustice and inequality to reign because we think any minute we're gonna we could become rich too, but. Uh, Actually, the rich have rigged the system so much that they're even now genetically advanced. Mm-hmm. So that, that's part of where that passage yeah. comes from. Yeah. The the meaning of pamphlets. I just wrote pamphlets here on the cover and uh, underlined it. Pamphlets are important. They are. It's it's how Hark gets his message out in the beginning and in his early days when he's just speaking to a you know a half dozen people in folding chairs in a bookstore. He'll end his speeches by saying, I have pamphlets for sale. And that becomes a catchphrase for the movement, even as it, it starts to number in the tens of thousands of people, as a will sort of say to each other, I have pamphlets for sale, as a way of letting you know that you're part of the mental archery right. uh, world. Right, and part of the underground, like in 19, exactly. 1984. So. Um, walk over and knock the apple off your son's head. Yeah. As as something worth attainment, but it also defeats the whole purpose of mental archery. Or, or is that what mental archery is all about? That William Tell the whole the whole false history of William Tell is very important here. Yeah, well, William Tell it becomes a, a, a central metaphor for uh, for mental archery, and the idea being that you kind of at a certain point the focus becomes so intense that it's it's no longer about you know, being bound by, it's sort of like the Matrix, I guess, being bound by the rules of space and time that you can just sort of reach over and knock the apple off. The, the point of that passage with William Tell was uh, the question of whether William Tell was trying to hit the apple or not hit his son. And that becomes uh, an incantation, uh, uh, a way of, a mantra of focus for the movement, they say. Right. Apple boy, apple boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> In some cases, it would be boy apple, which is the boy apple. Part of yeah. <laughs> um, and the and the, and then the story about William Tell is that true about him having two arrows? Uh, one was well, that, four feet. That hit, is the, in some boy. of the versions of the legend that yeah. is true. Yeah, I did. I did do some research around uh, the stories of various uh, mythological and historical figures who were involved with the bow and arrow or the crossbow <laughs> in William Tell's case. It shows. Uh, actually, you can see that in there. That was, I mean, that, that was about the extent of my research, but that was fun to do. 
Yeah. And the, the, the tell thing, do we know that? He said two arrows. One was if he hit the boy, he was going to shoot the guy who ordered him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He was yeah. going to kill the guy right away. Yeah. Gessler, the, We'd like to the believe sheriff that's, or the that's, bailiff or whatever of the, of the area. Yeah. But then he was in prison for that remark. So. Yeah. Then, then he put him in prison. Yeah. But is that true or not? Well, that's again. That is in the in the in the legend and the records. But yeah. I think that's murky. What exactly what the story yeah. is? When you say again, then I mean it's it's not true. You think it's not true? But if you say again, you know, say again, that was in you know, right after the again, I tune out. I mean, all right, so it's not true. Okay. Yeah. You know, again, comma. You know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> focused on unfocused or unfocused on unfocused. That is not in the book. It was just what I was trying to scratch my head and thinking at that time. I like that. I mean, maybe I, if there's another edition of this book, I could put that in. Yeah, because focus is not a Zen really thing, is it? It's cause if you're unfocused, there's nothing you're focusing on. Then you've reached some sort of nirvana. Yeah, that's more of a Zen state. I think if you can yeah. completely release yourself from any kind of focus, but. The way the way that Hart talks about it, it's a very it's supposed to be his followers take it into this other realm. But for Hart, at least in the beginning, it's a very practical kind of mindfulness practice. It's just uh, you know, so you can focus on your work or focus on your family yeah. or kind of be present where you are. That's about it. Yeah, he says for for home or for office, like, <laughs> you know, out for drinks with a client or a friend. Yeah. It's like a printer. It's for home or for office. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why I got the phrase. <laughs> but when you concentration is on focus, it makes it too useful. In a way, yeah. To the to the to the forces that be, you know, if they can focus more, then all is lost. Right. They need us distracted. That's that's. Yeah. <laughs> because he goes around to all these corporations and does these things with them, and and they even though in one case they ran out of the room when he was done, that was a good thing because that's what they do in that particular corporation. When they like something, they run out of the room. Right. They. They. Yeah. And when they when they hate something, they applaud it. They applaud it. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, have. They also do everything backwards at the corporation. Yeah. To disrupt. So they they have uh, like half day casual Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go up and change. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. It's even better than Apple. I don't know what it's like on the Apple campus, but you know, there must be some pretty weird things there too. Uh, yeah, well, some I knew yeah. some people that worked at Facebook in New York and yeah. kind of described the interior, and some of that made it into the book where Tova works. <laughs> Which parts? I'm wondering. Is there one thing that stands out in your mind from? Uh, hmm? the, is there one thing that stands out in your mind from the Facebook uh, campus that you actually use in this context? Well, there's. There's a description of where she works, and there are all these amazing vending machines, vending, yeah. or, you know, right. equi like equipment and accessories and organic snacks and a cafeteria and places to <laughs> get, a, get a back rub and so forth. Yeah. How about this one here now? Uh, dress for the job your child will soon be denied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, That's brilliant all in itself. That should be on a plaque or something. <laughs> We're always told to dress for the you know job we want, but yeah, yeah. I just tried to take that take that a couple steps further. Yeah, I think people today who are in that you know, millennials, so called, would appreciate that as well. I think so, especially the millennials. Yeah, they're in a rough spot. Yeah, 
okay, uh, overthought. And one, uh, our, our, our friend here is sort of the sub-narrator of this whole thing. Um, overthought thoughts? That yeah, he's, he's going on and he's thinking about, he's really trying to understand intellectually what uh, mental uh, archery is all about. And he keeps going off. It's all about himself, of course, and it's the archery he took when he was at day camp or something. Uh, but it's also all these other things, and he keeps he keeps overthinking. And that's that's overthought is definitely a sin in this philosophy. Yeah. So he has to he has to learn to do something that in the book is called unstringing your bow. <laughs> and so that's it. when you when your overthought thoughts pile up, you have to unstring your bow right. and get get it to a kind of vacant setting. That's the idea. Yeah. And by the way, this all came about because he saw like a toy uh, bow, uh, an, an arrow or something in a garbage. Yeah, well, that part started by finding yeah. in the garbage can a, yeah. a toy bow and arrow, and that yeah. was his inspiration for the whole thing. Yeah, so there is a basis at least for it. Yeah. Um, all right, I, this I like, and someone said this in the book. He's like a wise man from another dimension, but he's also a very attractive guy living in the metro area. <laughs> Well, that's one of the, the female followers. Of yes. That. And, what a uh, wonderful thing to say. <laughs> it's just, just, you know, just for having said it. <laughs> well, he's, he's, a, he is a, he's an attractive guy in, all, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't act like a lot of those cult leaders who take advantage of people. No. Those yeah. are the guys who can sell the most products, the guys who don't seem like you're, you know. Right. No, he's pretty. He's pretty chaste, and he's not like that. Yeah. Although along the way, he gets, he thinks of himself differently, and things do begin to change as far as how seriously he takes himself. Yeah, and how seriously, how serious a figure he may actually be. Yeah. That also, that, that's also it put into question. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the stakes kind of get pretty big by the end of the book. Yeah. And why he will only drink a cup of ice. Say that again. Sorry, you will only take a cup of ice when other people are having drinks. I think that's not. Yeah, exactly. He, that's his thing. That's his drink of choice is a couple of ice cubes in a tumbler. Yeah. Now this is one here that uh, is, it, I think it's kind of important to everything that's here. Is, uh, progress is a dangerous concept at the center of a bankrupt form of humanism. Yeah, that's uh, one of the more radical members of the group Teal, who yeah. is a uh, former. Rhodes Scholar, I believe, but also went to jail for embezzlement, but now is kind of the leading intellectual light of the movement. Yes. But it's an it's interesting concept now that progress is a dangerous concept, and you can see how but, it might be, particularly in this setting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that I wrestle with just as an idea, because there's something very appealing about progress and the notion that we can keep making things better. But then, as we all know, sometimes things go terribly awry in the name of progress. Right. Because GE at GE, progress is our most important product. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So that's maybe that most progress that we do today is really in these areas that are not necessarily progressive. Right. They, they, and they might be regressive in some, some cases. Yes. In almost all, it seems to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, how do your students like this book? I'm sure they've all read it by now. They must really love it, I'm thinking. 
I'm getting good response from a lot of a lot of different people. Some yeah. of them, some students, some people who are been around much longer than that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a wide swath of readers have been responding pretty positively to it. So yeah. I've been grateful for that. But I, I really because I think it really it's for them. You know, I mean, here's something that liberates you from all the conventions of the current millennial life and thinking, and and really, you know, just at least to play with the ideas. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think that the literature that always excited me mm-hmm. is the kind that asks questions rather than gives answers. And so if, if I can write a book that throws a lot of these ideas out there and turns them and is also entertaining and uh, trying to take on some, some philosophical notions or just some ideas about what it means to be alive right now in this particular moment, uh uh, I, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I think it needs to be examined. Um, it's a, it's a really, I don't know. I think about it a lot because, yes, it's a weird time because we all think everything's really going to hell more than ever, and we kind of almost have a timeline now. And how do you compare it to other times when people sort of vaguely felt things were going off the rails? But there was always the sense and you know the planet was always going to be here the way it's supposed to be and i don't know it's, it's just a very it's a very bizarre moment to be a human being yeah. and i think there have been times in the past when people thought the world was going to end they maybe didn't have the same scientific uh backing yeah but uh i you know it's it's a lot to wrestle with it's true and to do it with humor and to do huh. it you know without being didactic is rather an amazing thing. I, I like this thing that Hark says at one point. He said, what will finally destroy everything we've done is the fact that you people have no fucking sense of humor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really feel that's the crux of it. If there's one line that you can pull from the book, in a way, that it's that one. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to be true. Um, it's the lack of humor that really is a problem everywhere. Yeah. Not not the lack of joke making or or you know that sort of people thinking being their witty or put or put down humor, but actually no. a sense of humor about no. I mean there's a, there's a ton of that obviously. Yeah. But I mean that kind of deep human laughter and humor right. that you know binds us together and 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 maybe you know gets us through the darkest times. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's a section there where they said that uh, these things have always occurred, but there was kind of a civic pride or a civic response to them and, and other qualities that we no longer have or that they no longer have, of course we have them, as as a culture to counter counteract it. Yeah. I don't, I think that we're fast losing some of those qualities to counteract it. Yeah. And, w- and what are those qualities? Just so I can state it better than uh, I can. I can. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, some of it is when People talk about irony as this bad thing. When I think of it as a, there's a kind of deep, humane irony that's just kind of looking around at your fellow humans with a certain kind of gallows humor and a certain kind of sense of like we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's gotten people through like, as I said before, really hard moments. And, and I feel everything's so so fractured and fractious, and everyone is kind of dug into their positions. And and staring out over, you know, staring out of their foxholes at each other. It, it, it's very hard to to find that that thing that can bind us. 
Right. Right. The, the sense of what, uh, you know, being a people in a government, to actually think about yourself as being a people, which means that there are things, we might be identical, but there are things in common and, and, and held values that are very strong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. I love it. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's called Hark. <laughs>